Praise the Lord. We can already say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. <laughs> How refreshing it is to be in the presence of God. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship this morning. You've done a great job as always, and we so appreciate you. I am truly overwhelmed by the never-ending, reckless love of God. And I uh, love that song. Praise the Lord for it. Take your Bibles. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 51 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. I remember when I was called to preach and surrendered the call, my pastor at the time, he said, well, if God's called you to preach, then he's probably put a message on your heart. He said, so next Sunday night, I want you to bring the message here at the church. And brothers and sisters, I wish that I could describe to you the level of fear that um, entered my heart and mind when he said that. I mean, I was scared to death, uh, to say the least. Now, I still get nervous. There's no doubt about that. From Most of you know that uh, I, I can't even eat. I don't eat breakfast on Sunday morning. I don't eat um, supper on Sunday evenings or Wednesday evenings until after church because I, I still get terribly nervous, but nothing to the level of, of what it was that first time I stood and shared the word of the Lord. And for the simple reason that I understand the responsibility God's given me to speak truth in love. And so I never want to do that uh, in, in a wrong way to mislead somebody. I, I want to make sure that what I'm giving is what God wants and what we need. And so uh, I still get terribly nervous, but not near as bad then. I got to quote one of my heroes, Barney Fife. Barney Fife said something about being nervous once upon a time on the Andy Griffith show. He said that he was as nervous as a four-tailed cat in a rocking chair factory. And that's, that's, that's the way I was that first time I stood and, and shared what I believe the Lord had put upon my heart. And when I say I shared a message, I don't know that you could really call it a message. It was really about five minutes of scripture reading and about 15 minutes of crying. I mean, the Lord had just broke my heart and I was overwhelmed by his mercy and grace. And uh, I couldn't say nothing for, for crying, but uh, I did get through it. But I remember sitting Right uh, before the service began, I was sitting in the church getting ready to share what I believe the Lord had, had put upon my heart. And Brother Frank Cheney was there that night. Many of you know Brother Frank. And he, he leaned up and whispered to me. And he asked me, he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, uh, I'm gonna, I gave him the, the scripture that I was going to be preaching on that night. And he said, well, are you going to talk about sin? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, are you going to be against it? And that's a pretty good question. And that's the question that... I want to ask you this morning, when you think about sin, are you against it? Because I think what happens a lot of times as believers, we see sin as a small matter. Maybe you've got some pet sins in your life that uh, you have justified and rationalized and said, well, it's not that big a deal. Folks, I want you to know something. I'm here to tell you today. Sin is not a small matter. Sin is a very serious matter. And King David describes that for us right here in Psalm 51. Now before I get into my text today um, in the 51st Psalm, I want to share with you just three statements concerning sin. First of all, I want you to know that sin is dangerous. Sin is dangerous to you individually. Sin is dangerous to your family. Sin is dangerous to your ministry. Sin is dangerous to your church. 
Sin is dangerous in every area of your life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1, Paul puts it like this, who I believe to be Paul. I believe he's the writer of Hebrews. He said, Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin that doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now I love that word beset. The word beset actually means to continually threaten and hinder. So what Paul is telling us, we're all running this race for Jesus with Jesus. Can you say amen? And he says, as you're running this race, you need to run like you want to win. You need to run as effectively as you possibly can. So he says, lay aside that sin that is besetting you, that sin that is threatening your race, that sin that is hindering you from being what God wants you to be, what God has purposed for you to be. Sin is dangerous to your individual ministry. It's dangerous to everyone around you. We're going to talk about more about that in just a moment. But now I also want you to see that sin is deadly. You know this morning that sin caused the Son of God and God the Son his life upon a cross. The blood of Jesus was shed for your sin and for mine. The Bible says, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was because of my sin. It was because of your sin and the sin of the whole world that Jesus shed his blood on the cross. If you believe it, say amen this morning. So sin is not a small matter. Sin is a very serious matter. It's dangerous. It's deadly. Let me say something else. It's devilish and demonic. You can almost hear the hiss of the serpent when you say the word sin, the same hiss that Eve heard all the way back in the garden. Sin is a very serious matter. David knew this. He wrote a whole chapter about it in Psalm 51. All I want to do is read Psalm 51 verses 1 through 10, then we'll come back and look at three quick points this morning. Look what it says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, and thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Let's go on, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face, from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Everybody say right spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need a right spirit this morning. Lord, we're asking that you speak to us, Lord, exactly what we need to see from your truth. We know your word is your truth to us. And Lord, we're asking you uh, to make it real to us this morning by your power, by your presence, Holy Spirit, do your work among your people in this place. God, I can do nothing. I want to do nothing apart from your power, apart from your work on me, work in me and work through me, God. You do the work that's needed in the hearts and lives of people. I realize I can preach truth, 
but Lord, only you can impart truth. So I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, that you move me out of the way and you use me and make your truth real to the hearer, whether it be in the sanctuary, listening to us online, Lord, wherever they're hearing this message. Holy Spirit, we're praying right now that you convict hearts and change lives. I pray that sinners be saved. I pray that saints be convicted, comforted, and Lord, we pray that you do exactly what you want to do in the hearts and lives of people. And for these things, we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for you see. Amen. Three things that I want you to see here in Psalm 51. First of all, I want you to see the capability of sin in the saint. And how many of you understand that when you got saved, God did not take away your capability to sin? And that's made real to us right here in Psalm 51. We know that Psalm 51 was written by none other than King David. King David is called in the Bible the man after God's own heart. You'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 14. So now, folks, I want you to think about that just a moment. Everybody likes a compliment. We all like to be encouraged. Then there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be encouragers instead of discouragers. I found this quote this week um, speaking of Ralph Waldo Emerson. Listen what he said about encouragement. He said, our chief want is for someone to inspire us to be what we know we can be. That's pretty good stuff. I think he's right. All of us look for encouragement. All of us need encouragement. But can I say something to you? When we get a compliment from God himself, that compliment really means something. That compliment uh, really stands the test of time. Let me tell you why I say that. I may give you a compliment and you may give me a compliment. And we should do that. We should encourage one another. But the truth is, I don't know what you do. You don't know what I do. And you don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why you do what you do. I can't see your heart. Now listen to me, folks. God knows what we do. But God also knows why we do what we do. He knows our motive. So if he says concerning David that David is a man after my own heart, that's a pretty big compliment. He knew everything about David, just like he knows everything about Israel, just like he knows everything about Miss Lacey, just like he knows everything about Miss Brandy, just like he knows everything about Brother Watson, just like he knows everything about you. God knew everything about David, good, bad, or indifferent. And so when he says of David, he's the man after my own heart, that's a pretty big compliment. However, King David, the man after God's own heart, the singer of the Psalms, amen, is the same one who sinned against God greatly. This Psalm 51 was written after David had sinned with Bathsheba and against Uriah. You remember the story. David, first of all, lusted in his heart after a woman that was not his wife. The Bible says he looked upon Bathsheba and then as he kept his eyes where they shouldn't be, lust entered his heart. Now, when lust entered his heart, it wasn't before long he acted upon what he was seeing and thinking. Now, that, that should speak volumes to us. I want you to understand and know that as a man thinks, so is he. So we've got to make sure that we don't have stinking thinking because it's going to lead to stinking living. And that's what happened with David. He lusted in his heart. Before long, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then you remember, him being the king had the power to put Uriah on the front line of the hottest battle. 
And that's exactly what he did. He actually murdered Uriah, putting him on the front line to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. See, he lusted. He committed adultery. He was with a woman that was not his wife. And then to cover it all up, he killed the husband and lied about all of it. Now, if that is possible for the man after God's own heart to do, if he had the capability to sin, don't you think we do too? Let me read to you a verse of Scripture. 1 John chapter number 1, watch this. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible tells us plainly there, and here John is writing to the believer. He's writing to the church. He tells us this in verse number 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have handled, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you eternal life, which was of the Father, which was manifested unto us. And then he says, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare, we unto you that ye also have fellowship with us. See, he's talking about fellow believers, those who have fellowship in Christ with the brethren. He says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus. So according to 1 John 1, 3, he's writing to the beloved. He's writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's writing to those who have been born again. Listen to what he tells them in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what's he telling us? All of us, even as believers, have the capability to steal sin. Now, God does something for us that he doesn't do for the lost. He don't take away our capability to sin, but he will take away our ability to continually enjoy sin. That's what he does for the believer. That's what he does for me. And if you've been saved, that's what he does for you. See, when we are talking about the capability of us to sin, that doesn't mean that we live in continual sin. But now I like how uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers puts it about what sin is for the believer. He says when an unexpected opportunity and an undetected weakness come together, we can and sometimes do sin. That's pretty good stuff. When an unexpected opportunity and an undetected weakness, when they meet each other, that causes us to sin as believers. So all of us have the capability. If David did, then we certainly do too, each and every one of us. But now you need to understand something. You need to see that we have a capability to sin as believers, but you've also got to see the consequences of sin. You've got to see where that's taking you. You've got to see what that's going to do for you, to you. And that's what David writes about in Psalm 51. He tells us several things, six or seven of them, about what sin does in our life. That's what he says in, in verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. He says, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He asked the Lord again in verse 7 to purge him with hyssop, to clean him up. Now, what is David talking about? He's not talking about uh, being physically dirty. See, he's the king. He has access to the finest marble tub if he wants it. <laughs> he could get physically clean anytime he chose to there in the palace. That's not what he's speaking of. He's talking about being dirty spiritually speaking. Now, how did he know he was dirty spiritually speaking? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe he, just like every believer, is convicted by the precious Holy Spirit. 
Let me ask you something, child of God. Has there ever been times in your life when you felt dirty, spiritually speaking? Has there ever been times in your life when your sin, just like David is talking about here, was ever before you? Has there ever been times in your life when you become under conviction about the wrong that you've done or are doing? I certainly have, and I praise God for that. That tells you something. When God begins to convict you of your sin, when you are not comfortable in your sin, that is a sure sign that you are a child of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 6 that whom the Lord loves, He chastens, He corrects. And conviction of the Holy Spirit is the first step in God correcting our path. When we get off the path, God begins to convict us. And then if we don't listen to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, He will then go a step further and chasten us. Just like a father would his son. So I'm thankful for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. David said, Lord, clean me up. He knew he needed to be cleaned up because he felt dirty. Sin soils and sin stains the soul. That's why he says, clean me up, Lord. Listen, I'm not where I need to be. I, I don't know about you, but I find myself in that place from time to time. When God the Holy Spirit begins to take his finger and put it on things in my life, this is not right or that's not right. I man, several times when me and my wife are having those spirited discussions. You ever have those? We don't have fights. We have spirited discussions. Now, in the midst of some of those spirited discussions, I can get too spirited, and God the Holy Spirit will say, no, nah, that wasn't right. You need to apologize. Amen? That ever happened to you? I know that never happened to y'all, but that happens to us from time to time. Sometimes, as a, as a husband and as a father, I, I can uh, maybe not show enough mercy that I need to show and God would convict me on that and show me uh, and tell me what I need to do and what I don't. I'm so thankful that I've got that uh, personal relationship with God the Holy Spirit that He does lead God and direct me when I choose to listen to what He's trying to tell me. So David said, wash me, Lord. He knew he needed to be washed because he felt dirty. Sin soils and it stains the soul. But let me tell you something else. Sin also saturates. Let me tell you what I mean by saturate it it infects and effects everything around you david says it in psalm 51 verse number four like this he says excuse me verse number three for i acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me believer have you ever been in that place where you're outside the will of god maybe in a certain area when, when, when God is begin convicting you over certain things in your life, and it, and it seems as though you just can't get away from it, it's on your mind all the time. Sin saturates the mind of a believer. It infects and affects everything you do. It's a very serious matter. It, it, sometimes for me, when God begins to convict my heart, I know exactly what David is talking about. That it seems like everywhere I turn, God is showing me what I don't need to do or what I need to do. And, 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 I, and I feel it continually where I have failed God. I just can't get away from it. And it brings guilt. And many times shame. 
I was reading this week. Psychologists tell us in an imperfect world like we live in, two things usually happen to the human psyche. Sorrow and guilt. All of us have experienced sorrow. I seen it firsthand yesterday. We were here at the church doing some work over in the new building. And, and uh, I walked outside. And uh, when I walked out, there was a funeral procession coming into the parking lot. Somebody was being buried in our cemetery. And I was getting some stuff out of the truck there and turned around and, and looked at the ones getting out of the car. And there was this one young lady. I don't know who she was, but she was very sorrowful. Her heart was broken over the loss of her loved one. And she was crying pretty much uncontrollably as she got out of the car. Now, any of us who've ever lost someone close to us, we know the pain of that. We know what sorrow feels like. Let me tell you what I've experienced about sorrow. Even though, listen, it never gets completely well. Time will help to heal the sorrow you feel in your heart. Sorrow heals over time because it's a clean wound. Guilt will fester to the point that it affects everything in your life because it's a dirty wound. And until you get some cleansing, that guilt will control you. Guilt many times leads to bitterness. We cannot allow the guilt of our sin to control us, because if we do, we're never going to be what God wants us to be. What we must do is get cleansed of the guilt and shame that is caused from our sin. Sin saturates. Yes, it infects you. It affects others. Let me show you what I mean by that. Go, to, go take your, keep your place there in Psalm 51. And look with me over in the book of John, chapter number 21, verses 1 through 3. John 21, verse 1, after these things, meaning after Jesus had been crucified, after he had been placed in the grave, after he had risen again from the tomb. Can you say amen? After he had met with his disciples in the other room, after these things, verse 21 says... He showed himself again unto his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter. Now watch this. There was Simon. Then the Bible says Thomas was with him, called Didymus. Nathanael was with him of Canaan and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two other disciples. So you have Peter and six other people. Now, watch verse 3. Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered their ship immediately, and that night, watch this now, they caught nothing. Now, what, what, what is the point of these, these three verses? Folks, I want you to see that Simon Peter made a decision, the decision that affected everybody around him. You say, Rosal, does that mean that going fishing is a sin? Absolutely not. Listen to me, folks. If going fishing is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with going fishing. I love to go fishing. I, I, going fishing is a great blessing for me and I know for others. 
Nothing wrong with that. But now the point is this. Jesus had called to Peter and these other disciples to no longer just be fishers of fish, but he had called them to be fishers of men. So I think what the Bible is saying to us here is they were reverting back to their old life. They were reverting back to who they were pre-Jesus. And Peter says, now that Jesus is gone, I think he was discouraged. He had failed the Lord. Remember, he's already denied him three times. Jesus has been crucified. Listen, he thinks the ministry's over. And so he, in his time of discouragement, and in his time of wondering what's going on and what's going to happen next, Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going to back to what I was when Jesus found me on the Sea of Galilee and said, now you're going to be a fisher of men. And when Peter left, six more followed. See, what you do as a husband and a father has a direct influence upon your wife and kids. What you do as a wife and a mother has a direct influence on your husband and your children. What you do as a church member has direct influence. What I do as a pastor has direct influence on my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Sin saturates. It infects me, yes, but it affects others. Oh, Lord, help us. I'm praying today that we see the seriousness of the sin that all of us deal with day by day. Sin soils and stains, it saturates. But let me tell you something else. Sin causes you to stumble. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. The Bible says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. So, so what, is, what is David saying here? He's saying, Lord, it's against you that I have sinned. Nobody else. God is still on the throne. The Bible says the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. The Bible says as a believer that I am no longer my own, that I have been bought with a price. Because I have been bought with a price, because God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself, because Jesus has given me his life, I'm supposed to give my life to him. Amen? It's no longer about what I want or what I say or what I think or my plans. Now it's about his plan. Why? Because he bought me with his blood. The race that I'm running, like we spoke about before, I'm running with Jesus for Jesus. Now, sin causes us to stumble. And I think that's what David is saying. Lord, it's against you that I have sinned. Dr. David Jeremiah is one of my favorite preachers. That brother says a lot of things best, and he said something about the fatherhood of God one time that spoke to me, and I, I've never forgotten it. He, he said, he gave, gave an illustration of, of the, uh, a young girl who was uh, leaving her prom, and, and two of her buddies wanted her to go with them. And so she gets in the car, and they leave the prom, and on, uh, after leaving the parking lot, the young lady asked the two that she'd got in the car with where they were going, and they said, well, they were going to this party, and she knew at this party there was going to be things going on there that uh, she didn't need to be involved with. And so the, the, the further they rode, the more uncomfortable she became about going to that place. 
And so finally she looked at those two young girls that were in the front seats and she said, if y'all don't mind, why don't you just drop me off by my house? And one of the little girls being very sarcastic and having a smart aleck attitude, she looked back and said, what, what is it? You're afraid you're gonna, you, that your dad's going to hurt you? And she says, no, I'm afraid I might hurt my daddy. Listen, folks. As believers who have a heavenly father, it's not as much about we're afraid he's going to hurt us. We should be afraid if we're going to hurt him. And so David says, it's against you and you only have I sinned. I've stumbled in the race I'm running for you because of my sin. I think we've all been there. Sin soils and stains, it saturates, it causes us to stumble. Let me, let me give you another one. Look at verse 8. It also saddens, it saddens the heart. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now this brother's in a bad place. He says, Lord, I've lost my joy. I'm walking in sadness. Sin brings sadness like nothing else. Do you know one of the greatest gifts God gives his people is the gift of joy? <laughs> nothing like experiencing the joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Philippians 4 and 4 says that we ought to rejoice always. Now when Paul writes that in Philippians chapter 4, he's sitting in a prison cell and he writes to people outside the prison cell and he says rejoice always. What Paul is saying, whether you be in the prison cell or outside the prison cell, in the valley or on the mountain, rejoice. Circumstances, situations, good times or bad times should not take away our joy as believers. Joy is a gift God gives that allows us to be strong enough to make it in this world. Joy is much different than happiness. Happiness depends upon what happens to you. You can almost hear that in the word. If, my, if what happens to me is good, then I can be happy. If what happens to me is bad, then... I can be sad, and sometimes I am sad. And, and happiness is so fickle, man. It, it's here one minute, and it's gone the next. The, the smallest of things can change your happiness. I, I've told you before, one of my favorite routines on a Saturday morning is to get up, put me on a pot of coffee, get in the shower, wait for that pop coffee to, to brew and be ready for when I get out. Then I've got my coffee, and guess what else I like to do? I like to pull out of the cabinet some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The best cereal that's ever been created, in my opinion. And so on Saturday mornings, I would get the uh, Jethro Bowl. I, I'm not talking about a regular cereal bowl. I, sometimes I get like a, uh, the, the, the pot we make soup in. And fill that sucker up with cinnamon toast crunch and a good cup of coffee. I love Saturday mornings. So 
I, I get out of the bed, I put my coffee on, I get in the shower, I get out of the shower, pour my cup of coffee, reach up in the cabinet, get my soup bowl, put it down there on the, uh, on the counter, pour me a big bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, go to the refrigerator, open it up, and guess what's happened? Somebody has put an empty milk jug back in the refrigerator. And so I went from having a great morning, being way up here, being very happy, to being very sad. You ever been there? I'm talking about it jerked the rug right out from under me, man. When you're really wanting something and you, it's, it's just right there and you can't get it, that's how I felt. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, or the lack of milk, rather, took my happiness. Happiness is... Very fickle. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. Joy, however, is meant to last. J. Vernon McGee says something about happiness and joy. It's pretty good. He says, happiness is like a thermometer. It registers conditions. Joy is like a thermostat. It controls conditions. That's why Paul says you can rejoice always, whether you're in the prison cell or outside the prison cell, whether you're on the mountain or in the valley, you can overcome and have strength to overcome because of joy it sets the condition i'm going to tell you something we've got some crooked people in government but it can't take my joy amen we've got problems in this world but it can't take my joy folks we've got things going on in this country i do not agree with it can't take my joy the only thing that can steal my joy as a believer, according to Psalm 51, is sin. David said, because of my sin, my heart has been saddened and I've lost my joy. I'm going to tell you something. I'd a lot rather be around a good old-fashioned ungodly pagan than I had be around a backslidden Christian. Let me tell you why. Not only does sin sadden your heart, but it sours your spirit. Some of the most sour people I've ever been around in my life sit on a church pew every Sunday. You couldn't make them happy if you tried. They've lost their joy. Well, I'll tell you why, I think, because they're in a backslidden condition. It sours the spirit, it saddens the heart. Let me tell you something else it does. It sickens the body. He says, the bones that thou hast broken. Does that literally mean that God broke his bones? Nobody felt that way. He physically hurt in his body because of his failure. Not only does it do all those things, but in verse number 10 he says something. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Seeing gives you a wrong spirit. Keeps you from being what God saved you to be. Keeps you from doing what God has called you to do. 
So what's the answer? It's good for us to see that even David, the man after God's own heart, had a problem with sin. We all do. But the, 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 the reason I really like Psalm 51 is not that David is a great sinner. Psalm 51 shows us David is a great repenter. And so he does something we've all got to do as believers who have the capability to sin. First thing he does, he confesses it. Look, look what he said there in, in the first verse of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He confesses his wrong to the Lord. 1 John 1, 8, when it does say that if any man says he don't have any sin, he makes himself a liar and the truth is not in him. It says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does it mean to confess? The word confess means to stand in agreement with God. It's you saying, okay, God, I've missed it here. I've missed the mark. I have sinned. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm standing in agreement with you. I'm confessing my wrong. Lord, make me right. That's confession. That's what David is doing in Psalm 51. Let me tell you something else you need. Confidence in knowing that God still loves you. I've got three kids that I love with everything in me. My three greatest blessings call me daddy, man. There's nothing. I, I get jacked up about being a dad. I love it. It's awesome. I love them. I, I, it's a weird thing, though. It's amazing how much I love my kids, but at the same time, nobody from time to time can make me more angry than my kids. However, that does not stop me from loving them. Why? Because they're mine. And they'll always be mine. I may not agree with everything they do. We, we may, there may be a hindrance in our fellowship, but I'm always going to have relationship with them babies, no matter what. And the same is true with us and our Heavenly Father. Folks, listen to me. God loves His children with an unending, everlasting love. Just because you've messed up and blown it doesn't mean that God's threw you away. One, one thing I love, and if there's anything that the story of the prodigal son teaches us, is that, listen, the son may get in the hog pen. Sometimes we do. But the son doesn't stay in the hog pen. The difference between a hog and a son is that a hog don't know he's dirty. A hog enjoys the field. A hog enjoys the muck and the mire. The son comes to himself, realizes where he is, where his father is, realizes the relationship he has with the father, and goes back home. Praise God we can do the same thing. Why? Because we got confidence in knowing that God loves us. David appeals to that in verse, verse 1 of chapter 51. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? Thy loving kindness. Lord, cause of your loving kindness, hear what I'm saying. Confess as I confess my sin and cleanse me. Then the Bible says, when you have confidence in knowing God loves you and you confess your sin to him, David said, 
then Lord, clean me up. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me clean. There's nothing like allowing God the Holy Spirit to wash you clean. I'm going to tell you something. If you're a backslider, we've all been there. To one degree or another, it's time to come home. Sin is not a small thing. It's not a small matter. It's a very serious matter. And David says that according to the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father, we can be washed clean. Aren't you thankful? See, if he can do it for David, he can do it for me. And he can do it for you. No matter who you are. God loves you today. If you need the Lord in any way this morning, I'm going to ask you to come in this invitation time. If you have never yet trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't know the Lord, then today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. If you do know the Lord, but like David, you've fallen into sin, then I invite you, I encourage you today, get it right with the Lord. Confess to Him. Have confidence in knowing He still loves you. And do what you need to do during this time of invitation. Don't wait. Don't, don't, don't allow Satan what someone else thinks or your own heart and mind keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Whatever you need today, God's ready, willing, and able to meet those needs.